Hello, Vetfolio Voice family. Are you ready for some more fishbowl fun? This was actually our first fishbowl episode, so we were kind of trying to figure out how it all worked and get our feet under us, and I could not have asked for a better guest to figure that out with. Dr. Drew Forrester joining me for this episode, sponsored by Hills, to discuss an exciting new diet designed specifically for cancer patients. Now, when we're dealing with patients undergoing cancer treatments, whether they're in the midst of treatment or we're starting to approach that end-stage management, one of the biggest indicators of quality of life is that animal's willingness to eat and ability to enjoy their food. So a lot of times we end up with just feed them whatever they'll eat. We just want them to eat something. Well, Hills took that to heart and they work to develop this diet that's complete and balanced. It's highly calorically dense and highly palatable for these patients to hopefully give them some of the support that they need nutritionally through what can really be an incredibly difficult disease state. And of course, Drew Forrester here to help us learn more about this diet. She was super knowledgeable and insightful, and we had a lot of fun in the fishbowl together. Dr. Drew Forrester received her DVM from Auburn University and completed an internship, small animal internal medicine residency, and master's degree at Texas A&M University. She was a faculty member at Texas A&M University, Virginia Tech, and Western University of Health Sciences, and served in a variety of academic roles. Drew currently serves as Director of Global Veterinary Innovation at Hills Pet Nutrition and is an adjunct faculty member in the Department of Clinical Sciences at Kansas State University. Drew enjoys teaching and has received numerous teaching awards, including the National Norden Pfizer Distinguished Teacher Award. She's passionate about helping others learn and enhancing communication effectiveness, which I think we talk about a little bit in this episode. And Drew's professional areas of interest include nephrology, urology, and clinical nutrition. All right, let's jump in. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. I'm here at VMX with Dr. Drew Forrester. We're in this kind of fishbowl setup on the expo floor. It's kind of, kind of fun and interesting. It's a strange, I think. Uh, it is, it is. It's a new podcasting yeah. experience, but yeah. I appreciate you yep. kind of taking this plunge with me. Sure, happy to be here. So we're talking about a new diet yes. um, that, that is coming out from Hills. Yes. How yep. exciting. Tell us more. We're really excited about it. It's called Prescription Diet Oncocare. It's something we've been working on for the past six years and really glad to bring it to market so that vets can have this tool to use for their pets with cancer. It's going to be available for both dogs and cats in dry and wet. It is designed with exceptional taste to help nourish and support pets that are living with cancer. Very cool. Can you tell us more about that? Is it primarily the palatability that's making it beneficial or or what makes it beneficial? Sure, sure. That's a great question. So I think anyone that's been working with cats and dogs with cancer especially knows that appetite is a really critical thing that pet parents and the vet healthcare team uses when they're trying to decide really kind of making end-of-life decisions. And and we, we kept that in mind the entire time. I would say this was a food that was intentionally designed to have exceptional taste. We knew that was the number one goal above all else. Um, there's a lot of factors you can control in a pet food. It's ingredients, whether it's the formulation, the packaging, some of the aesthetics, like the kibble shape, size, and texture. We look we took all those into consideration when formulating the food and in the end made sure that we had a food with exceptional taste because we really know how important that is to, to pets with cancer and, and to pet parents. Absolutely. I mean, it's 
really exciting to think of of a dog food or of a cat food that you can feed to these patients who probably have a poor appetite. They're probably feeling pretty crummy and they'll eat it because how many times do we have that conversation of just feed them whatever they'll eat? Well, our goal with this is that you can feed them what they need because it's a complete and balanced food, which means that it's going to meet the nutritional needs for adult dogs and cats. And it also tastes great. So having those two together was something we heard loud and clear from the profession. We got feedback from the profession and, you know, what are your needs? And they told us, we just need a complete and balanced food that tastes great. Um, and so we, we, we think that's what we've delivered and we're really excited for it to get feedback and to hear how people are using that to help pets with cancer. Sure. I feel like as a general practitioner, I can really echo that sentiment of having a palatable diet that's complete and balanced that we can feed to pets with cancer who have a decreased appetite. So aside from the palatability, what makes this diet unique? Some other features of the food are that it's very calorie dense. And by that, there's a lot of calories packed into a small volume. So... Uh, The benefit of that is that it allows for pets to eat smaller volumes and still meet their nutritional needs as well as their calorie needs. Um, Just to give you an example, a typical dry cat or dog food probably has around 350 calories per cup. And this food for dogs has 481 calories per cup and for cats, 581 calories per cup. So that's one of the other features in addition to the great taste. Um, It's also highly digestible. So the proteins, carbs, and fats um, come from really great sources and the digestibility is high, which means that pets can absorb and use the nutrients. We know that cancer itself can increase the risk for malnutrition. And one of the reasons that it does that, in addition to decreased appetite and altered taste, is it might affect absorption of nutrients. So we kept that in mind when we were designing this food. And uh, one other feature is you know, pets with cancer will oftentimes have diarrhea or constipation, right. whether it's from the cancer itself or maybe the treatments that they're being given or sometimes pain management. And this food contains what we call active biome technology, active biome plus, and it is a special blend of prebiotic fibers. So if you look on the ingredients, you'll see things like pressed cranberries and flaxseed and ground pecan shells, citrus pulp and beet pulp. And those are there because we have studies to show that that actually helps provide consistent stool quality in pets. So that's another cool thing about the food. Very cool. So if I'm hearing you right, highly palatable, highly energy dense. Yes. Good digestibility. And you said a prebiotic blend. Is it prebiotic and probiotic? It's it's prebiotic. Prebiotic, yes. Prebiotic fiber blend. Okay. It sounds like the answer to a lot of problems. It sounds like the answer to a lot of those just feed them whatever they'll eat. I know, which is, I know that's a struggle for, and so again, we're hoping that this provides that option for pet parents. Um, One thing I want to make sure everyone's aware of is this is not a management for cancer itself. So the, the veterinary healthcare team would be recommending whatever they think is appropriate to treat the cancer. And then this is to provide nutritional support along with whatever that treatment might be for the cancer. Or if the owners decide not to treat the cancer, then you still got to eat. And this is a great choice for those as well. I mean, it sounds like it's really filling a need. I think so. We we hope so. We do. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. What about other situations, either with cancer or in pets that don't have cancer? Are there any contraindications to this diet? So so I think there's three watchouts that would like everyone to be aware of. This is a food that's relatively high in fat. You know, fat probably does help contribute to the taste, uh, as it does for for many things. But because it's relatively high in fat, we would not recommend it for pets that maybe have uh, risk factors like pancreatitis or hyperlipidemia. The other thing to keep an eye on is because it's 
energy dense is that you want to be really careful in pets that are obese or obese prone. There's a lot of calories per cup and they really need to be, if they're, if they're overweight, they need to be losing weight. So, but if it's a cancer patient and their appetite is down, this could still be a good option for those pets as well. Sure. And I would imagine keeping good, balanced nutrition on board in these patients who, you know, maybe they are obese um, and they do need to lose weight, but they, they're losing their appetite might help maintain some of that muscle mass as it, well. It could, it could as well. And, you know, I did probably forgot to mention one of the other benefits of the food is that it does have really high levels of essential amino acids. Um, you know, sometimes people look at the protein, the total protein in the food, but it's actually the pet has a requirement for amino acids. And so this food has really high, greater than 180% of their um, needed amino acids based on AFCO recommendations. And so we think that along with the inclusion of L-carnitine can help support muscle mass, which can be a struggle in pets with cancer. Very cool. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the biggest issues I face in, um, you know, um, in a lot of conditions where pets yeah. aren't eating very well is that loss of muscle mass. Yes, for sure. Just recalling these situations of pets who won't eat and, yeah. and telling the owners, you know, just feed them whatever they'll eat. I just right. want them to get sure. food. Sometimes there's pitfalls like diarrhea and things like that. Why is it so important, aside from what we've touched on already, right. that we as a veterinary healthcare team really make a good, specific mm -hmm. nutritional recommendation for our patients? Well, a, a great question. I think this is a group of pet parents that is highly engaged. They're very interested in information about nutrition they still want to hear from the veterinary healthcare team. They want your advice, they want your guidance. And we recommend starting this food at the initial diagnosis. And, and that really gives the pet parents a chance to be involved with uh, their patient's care, maybe while they're waiting to see a specialist or they're thinking about their options for cancer treatment. This gives them something to do right away because you have to eat and this food is a great option for pets with cancer. Um, it's something the vet healthcare team can recommend and we'd recommend having a proactive active discussion because you may make assumptions that they don't want to hear, but they want to hear. There's, I know at least one published study that looked at a survey of pet parents whose pets had cancer and they found that every single one of them was interested in nutrition and over 90% of them were willing to change the food and they were open to using a conventional food as long as they understood how it was going to help their pet. So the vet healthcare team has a you know a really big role to play in helping by explaining how these foods can help pets with cancer. That makes a lot of sense. And and you said you recommend starting it at the first diagnosis. Is that true even in pets that are eating well? So we would recommend that the veterinarian assessing the pet do an individual assessment because sure. if they are still eating well, this is a food that could have benefits in pets with cancer as their disease process goes along. I think it's kind of nice to be proactive about establishing yeah. a good plan of nutrition instead of waiting until things get really bad down the road. So I mean, it kind of like yeah. we're taught not to start a new diet while they're in hospital. Don't, like, yeah, don't start the new diet when they feel crummy. Start exactly. the new diet when they feel good. You definitely want to avoid those situations, but for this one, many times these pets first are not going to be hospitalized and when you're going to send them out the door they want to be doing something and changing starting to change their food knowing they're willing to do that if you bring that up to them is just a step that the healthcare team can take sure sure absolutely and and I wasn't suggesting that these pets were hospitalized more from the standpoint of if they're eating well at that initial diagnosis they're still feeling okay they're still feeling themselves then that makes sense that that would be the time to start the diet yes for sure rather than Definitely. creating I don't know until if it would create an aversion but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe exactly. 
I would imagine these nutritional recommendations, I mean, when, whenever we get that cancer diagnosis, right. the whole team is, is sad to get that diagnosis sure. and, yeah. and trying to help the, the pet parent and the, you know, the owner move forward and, and help the pet as much as possible. It seems like dietary therapy would be a team approach. Sure, it is. I mean, I think that's a great point. So you know, after that initial diagnosis, it's pretty emotional and people are trying to make decisions and things can be seeming a little cloudy. It's really a great chance for the entire veterinary healthcare team to be involved. So the veterinarian is going to be making the recommendation for which food, how much to feed. and But it's the veterinary technician or nurse that's going to be doing that communication, walking the pet parent through the steps when we need to get you back in for a recheck and even checking in the, within the first week to see how's the transition to the new food going and, and following up to see what questions they have. And then, you know, checking out at the receptionist, then certainly I think many people these days are using home delivery. So the vet healthcare team can set up home delivery through their practice. And that just makes it a lot easier to for the pet parent to adhere to the recommendation if they're doing things like automatic shipments and, and things like that. So everyone involved from beginning to end has a role, I think, in this being successful. And a really important role. Absolutely. I love that you brought up that it's a stressful time to get a diagnosis of cancer because it, it absolutely is. And communication becomes key. And just like we talked about from all members of the veterinary healthcare team, can you talk about some good client communication tips? I feel like that's one of my favorite things to talk about yeah, is client sure. communication. I'd sure. love to hear your input on well, it. Well, I actually think everything rests on communication as far as a, a successful outcome or not. So I think with this in particular, it is a stressful time. They may be getting a diagnosis that's not good news. And they're really trying to do everything they can for their pet to help is really to spend some time listening up front instead of maybe jumping to making statements and recommendations. I think this also applies to when you have clients look up information online and they and they are asking about the online information that they found. It's to listen, to understand. As you get to hear more, what you'll find, I think, is most of these pet parents are really trying to do everything they can to help their pet have a better quality of life. And any time that you can then reframe your recommendations in light of how it's going to help them achieve the goals they have for their pet, I think that's going to be a, a really plus and a positive that helps ensure a more successful outcome, especially with a nutritional conversation. You know, we talked about pet parents wanting to do whatever they can for yep, their pets. Sure. And one of the things that so many pet parents are going to do, which I, I feel like I completely understand, is consult Dr. Google. Sure. And for me, I know there's this knee jerk of like, oh, no. But in reality, like when I when I think about it, I do the same yes, thing. Yeah. If I if there's something wrong with me or one of my kids, the first thing I'm going to do is go and and consult Dr. Google. And you know, I tell myself that I can read this in a discerning manner and I can figure it out. And who knows if that's actually true? But yeah. it seems like something we we need to accept and maybe even embrace a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about how you communicate with pet parents who come in and maybe have some preconceived notions after consulting Dr. Google? The first thing is. I, and I've changed my view on this over the years. At, at first, I think many of us kind of went, you know, we do the eye roll and say, oh, I can't believe back in the day when I, when they first started going on the internet, they would bring in 50 pages printed from oh the goodness. internet. Now at least we have a smartphone and you can just check it right there. But sure. I think um, it's the reality. Everyone has access. And it's, if you have an unknown symptom that you can't figure out, the first thing you do is not schedule an appointment with your physician, you go online. The difference between you and the typical pet parent is you know where to look. And so my advice is really 
three steps. Number one, listen. Listen to understand where they're coming from, reassure them, and then provide them with factual information. Uh, is step two. And then uh, the next is, if it's a myth that they've heard, then explain in very simple, succinct terms why that information is incorrect or maybe how it originated or how it came to be. Um, You know, for example, with cancer, you're going to go online and the first thing you're going to find when you search regarding nutrition is low-carbohydrate diets. Sure. And so you may have pet parents come in and say, I read online that low-carb diets are the best for pets with cancer. And my immediate reflex is to say, no, it's not. And that's immediately shut the pet parent down. So instead, it's like, tell me more. You know, what did you read? What did you think about that? What were you thinking? How could that help your pet? And then you would go into, well, actually, there were some studies um, earlier on that did show there might have been a benefit of low-carb diets in a certain type of cancer. But new research has become available now. And now we know that there is no ideal amount of dietary carbohydrates. And instead, we're focused on other features of a food that might help and then point them in the direction of online information that you think is credible. I think we've got some resources that we're going to make available for you for that. Um, But, you know, you'll find things that you like. I've got three or four that I recommend. And people are going to do their research. And so give them places to go. And it's going to be information that supports what you're recommending. So they're going to be getting it from multiple ways. And I think that helps solidify that, that recommendation, that confidence that they'll have in following your guidelines. So much of it comes down to listening, it does. doesn't it? And, it's and hard not, to do, though. It is. It it's is very so much. Hard to I do. mean, you, we can talk about it right here in this neutral situation, no problem. But when you're actually confronted with it, it, it can be challenging. It's very challenging. But you're right. so it's important. almost like you have to take a deep breath and and pause and say, "I have just tried to train myself to say the words, tell me more.' Right. Just right. find whatever works for you that gets you settled down and that helps you communicate to them that you're trying to listen to them. Hold back any eye rolling as much as possible. (laughs) And uh, honestly, a lot of the information I find that pet parents come back with after consulting Dr. Google, I find that many of them come back with some really good questions that warrant answering. Well, I think the other way to look at this is I see this as a sign that a pet parent actually is engaged and interested and wants to do the best they can for their pet. So I'm trying to view this as a positive thing. I would like to say, though, that there are going to be people that you will never win over. Sure. And so don't let those individuals who are stuck in their ways of seeing things and really just want to pick a fight with you uh, because they know what's best and they know what's right, you're not going to win them all over. But Mm -hmm. don't let them get in the way of helping the overwhelming majority of people that are in the middle of the bell curve. Ignore the extremes and go with the 85% of people in the middle because they're the ones that are willing to listen to you and that want your advice and are, and are, are willing to make changes if you can explain to them why it's going to help their pet. Gosh, I think that's really good advice to really focus on the middle of that bell curve and the people that you can reach and the pets that you can help because sometimes the temptation can be really to focus on either end and, yes. and really try to get your message home and not to say that we shouldn't do that to some degree, but really focusing our efforts where we can do a lot of good. Yeah, you, you have to give yourself permission to let some people go. Sure, sure. To say, <laughs> it's just reality. Agree to disagree. Yes. <laughs> well, Dr. Forrester, I have really enjoyed this talk. I'm really excited about the new diet. It yeah. sounds like it's going to fill a big need for us as prescribing veterinarians sure. who are making these nutritional recommendations for our whole pet team to feel like we can all be involved helping these pets. And then, of course, for our pet parents and, and these poor guys with the cancer diagnosis. 
and I really appreciate the tips on client communication. I yeah, feel like you have yeah. a lot of insight in yeah. that regard. Was, I mean, and that's the, I think the communication piece is key. It's like bedside manner in a physician. If It yeah. doesn't matter how great a physician is if they cannot communicate to you in a way that you understand the importance of their recommendations. So I completely get that. I agree. Communication is, is a, a critical part of it. So it's got to go hand in hand with the actual food itself. Right. Yep, right. Yep. You have to actually get the food into the hands of yes. the people. <laughs> Well, Dr. Forrester, thank you again so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great to be here. Really appreciate it. All right. I want to say a big thank you to Drew for joining me for this episode. It was a lot of fun. Thank you to Hills for making this episode possible. And of course, thanks to all of you for joining us. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your insight on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. <laughs>